Well, we've been going through the book of Genesis. Genesis, the word means the beginning. And uh, we looked last week at how Adam and Eve rebelled against what God had said to do. They ate of the tree when God said not to eat of the tree. And so that leaves them in a very unusual place. Now, we're going to look at this a little bit. We're going to finish the chapter. We didn't get through it all the way last week. But when we look at it today, you're going to see some interesting things about humankind. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through it. And God, that as we look at these words, that we have a better understanding of who you are and a better understanding of who we are and our complete need for you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we left last week, we remember that Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree. Now we get to verse 8. Let's just review here a couple of verses, and then we're going to go. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. That's when that nice evening breeze blows. That's what, what, what the time that God chose to come and visit with them. And by the way, what an amazing sound that would have been to hear God walking through the garden, looking for man to have fellowship with him. And it says, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God from in the trees and the garden. Now, what, what's weird about this? Now, let's look at this for just a second. Now, God's walking with man in the cool of the evening, okay? And he comes up to him, and Adam and Eve's teeth are completely broken out of their heads. And God said, have you been eating of that tree? You know, that is really some tough fruit to eat. No, what happened was they ate of the tree, then they went and hid themselves. You say, well, what's, why is that so unusual? Remember this, sin manifests itself in our lives in oftentimes different places than where it began. They ate of the tree, but they ran and hid themselves. They ate of the tree, but they knew they were naked. We don't realize what a complex being we are, that when you do something in one area of your life, it affects other areas of your life as well. And this is one of the things that I see here in this particular part of passage of scripture is that though they ate of the tree, it wasn't that they met God with bloody broken off teeth or some other thing that was going on in their life. They ran and they hid themselves. Remember, sin will cause us to do things that we normally would never do. Now he says, and God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? I think this is always a good question that God would ask all of us almost on a daily basis. Where are you? What are you doing? Are you closer to me or farther away from me? I think God asking, where are you, is important. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And man said, the woman who you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Now, again, this is one of those things that's really unusual. God says, why did you eat of the tree? He responds and says, the woman you gave me. Either you're the problem or she's the problem. Duke it out. Let me know. I'll be over here watching TV. Well, the problem is, 
is that we look at this, it's like, it's, it would be the same as driving downtown, running into a police car, and then trying to convince the cop whose fault it was. You're trying to blame God for the very sin that you committed. And this is, to me, one of the great travesties of what sin does. It's called shifting the buck. We, we're good at it. Kids are the same way. You learn it from kids. We see it all the way through our, the, the, the human nature uh, doing heinous things and then coming up with an excuse why we did it. I remember, and I've shared this before, but about, um, and, and for us as Christians sometimes, we like to really wrap it in religious garb. You know, we like to do evil things, but we want to make it sound like it's good. You say, what? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die for our sins. Okay, New Testament. He's on his way to die for our sins. And Jesus tells his two disciples, go over and go into the village. James and John, sons of thunder. We find out why they're named that in a second. He goes, go into the town and get us a motel room for the night. And and they came back and they said, Jesus, no one would give us a room. No one would would give us a, a motel room for the night. Now, if they would have just stopped there, they would have been fine. But... Here's the thing. They said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? Now, I I think that's a little radical for not getting a room at the Motel 6. You know, you won't give me a room? Ah, some fire for dinner. Well, that's what basically they were doing. They wanted a room so they could spend the night. And because no one would give them a room, the disciples wanted to call fire down from heaven and burn the people up. Now, remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die for our sins. He's been with them for like years, teaching them to love, turn the other cheek and all these different things. And they want to call fire down from heaven and burn people up. But here's what's really weird about that. They want to wrap their wickedness in God's scripture. They said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? Yeah, you know, if you're going to do something evil, you'll want to somehow try to make it sound spiritual. Well, that's what they were doing. They were shifting the buck. You see, their dark heart was really overridden. And so we got to make up for it in some spiritual way. Well, this is what Adam was doing as well. God, that woman you gave me. So you may gave me a defective one. Do you have any more? Well, no, that woman you gave me. Notice it says. The Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now there's an interesting thought here that probably we haven't thought of before too. And that is this. Would have Eve eaten of the tree if Satan hadn't enticed her to do so? I think that's a good question. I don't really have an answer for that. But I do believe that when Satan is bound, we will find a lot of the temptations that temptate us will no longer be around because Satan will be bound. Now, during the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand year time after the tribulation, 
Some seven years, at least north of today, there's a thousand year reign, which Jesus will reign. Satan is locked up for a thousand years. And I don't think we're going to find the, the wholesale sinning that we find today in the world because the, the perpetrator or the encourager of sin is going to be locked up. In other words, if the serpent hadn't beguiled Eve, would she have baited the tree? Maybe not. So we know then that we have a formidable enemy in the devil. Now the devil took on this form, shape, whatever it was. It wasn't a snake before it was cursed to the ground. It could have been very, very neat to look at. Lights all over it, maybe. Maybe it floated in the air. What's really interesting is it could talk. Hey, Eve, has God said? It's weird to me that this creature... Whatever it was, was so enticing that Eve broke into a conversation with it. Now, a lot of times, in a lot of the artwork that you'll see uh, concerning the Bible, they'll show a little slithery snake talking to Eve. Hello, babe. No, I don't think that's the way it was. I just don't think so. I think that it was something very unique looking because it was cursed to the ground after God had pronounced its judgment. So look at it says. It says, God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly, you shall go and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. And, and eating the dust is another type of phrase of, of, of defeat. And I will put enmity between you and woman between your seed and her seed, between her seed and your seed. Wow, that's weird. Women don't have seed. They have eggs. Here's the first prediction that uh, there was going to be a Savior that was going to come. And he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. By the way, having your heel bruised is not a mortal wound. But when Jesus bruised Satan's head, that was a fatal wound. And so it says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you will bring forth children. And it's probably noteworthy. It appears that women have more of this than probably any other creature on earth during childbirth. And your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Uh, We've talked about this a little bit before, but literally it means you shall desire your husband's position. (laughs) And he shall rule over you. So again, this is why it's important, ladies, uh, before you ever get married to somebody, you want to be sure that you feel that that person you're marrying can lead you. Otherwise, you're never going to respect him in the point that you need to, to trust him. And so... He said to the woman, again, her judgment that came upon her. And then Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I have commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, here's something interesting. Many people have asked the question, why was, was Cain's sacrifice rejected and Abel's was accepted. And that's where the jealousy came from. And that's why Cain killed Abel. If we, when we get up here in the next uh, uh, 
couple of chapters, we're going to see more and more of this, this flourishing of man's fallen nature. But one of the things, and here's one of them. Notice it says, cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, if you go over to verse 3 of the next chapter, chapter go to chapter 4 and look at verse 3. Let's look at this. It says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Okay, so his offering was the fruit of the ground. But when we go back to verse 17 of chapter 3, cursed is the ground for your sake. Now notice that, because here's the thing. He brought something to God that was cursed. Where Abel brought a a yearling from his flock. And so uh, a, a little bit of insight there. In toil you shall eat of it, speaking of the ground, all the days of your life. And so... Notice it says, cursed is the ground for your sake. That's kind of a dualistic statement. It's cursed for the ground for one reason, and that was for your sake, but for your sake it happened. Now, what does that mean? Well, basically this. Idle hands are the devil's playground. Uh, You realize that because you're going to be busy getting food, having a job, all those things, that's going to keep you out of a lot of trouble. And so one of the things that we find here is he said, for your sake, it's going to be cursed. And so in the toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the herb of the field. And the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. In other words, it's going to be a lot of work to make a living because the ground is cursed. So every time you go out and you, you know, I think it's funny. We have these bicycle paths out here. You ever notice that? They got the little bicycle things along the road. They got the little bicycle guy, you know, riding and stuff like that. But, but this verse kind of wrecks all that. Because I've seen so many people, because they run over those little nasty things called goat heads. Have you ever got one of those in your shoe? I got one in my shoe. I, I, have, I got these little shoes and they have little, like, little air bladders in them, you know, because it makes it cushy. I stepped on one of those. I didn't know it. I pulled it out and I was in my garage and I bent over and the little hole in the bottom of the little bladder goes, and I'm thinking, there's a mouse in here. And I go, and I'm going, where is it at? I didn't realize it was because that thorn had poked a hole in that little thing in my shoe and it was squeaking and I thought it was a mouse and it was me. Anyway, dirt trail. But the other thing is, so you see these people, they ride their bikes, they run over these goat heads, pokes holes in their tires, and then I have seen countless people because we're on the road here to go to Shoshone Falls. You see a lot of tourists and a lot of people will park in our parking lot here and ride their bikes down and run over the goat heads. And I have counted, I bet you I've counted probably at least 25 people carrying their bicycles back because it poked holes in their tires. So don't always believe that little thing that says bike trail, not so. Better have puncture-proof tires. The curse is on. Listen, every time you see the weeds, my dad used to always say, imagine if food grew as easy as weeds did, there'd be no food shortage. There'd never be a famine. So you realize that this curse is so 
powerful what it did to humankind. And the Bible says that, that God put these thorns on this earth. Now, it's interesting to me. And in fact, in Jesus, we find a reversal of all these things that happened in the garden. What did Jesus wear on his head when he was being crucified? A crown of what? Thorns. We find the very thorns, the very thing that cursed the ground, Jesus wore on his head. We find that actually, you might say out of the, uh, well, when it says uh, going back to Eve, that um, in pain you shall bring forth children. We remember Jesus died to bring forth all of us into life. There's a lot of interesting parallels here of how Jesus reversed what we find. The thorns and the thistles bring forth uh, again, this, this curse that we all have to deal with. Till you return to the ground, from out of it you were taken, and from dust you are, to dust you will return. This is an interesting picture to me, because God scraped up a little ball of clay, breathed life into them, and became a living soul. In fact, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 37, it talks about the nation of Israel that had been scattered among the nations. And Ezekiel was brought in this valley of dry bones. And God says, hey, Ezekiel, can these bones be made to live again? And Ezekiel goes, thou knowest, beats me. He says, speak to him. And as he began to speak to them, flesh came on them and all these things. And then God breathed life in them. And the nation of Israel, who was scattered among the nations and gone, exists again in the last days. Just exactly what we see today in the Middle East. It's an amazing picture. And not only that, but Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 deal with those now that want to destroy it once it's been restored. And we see that in our newspapers daily. So, you realize that God takes something very ordinary and makes it very extraordinary. From the dirt we were created, and you know what? You look at how God made us. It's pretty amazing, really, that just out of these basic chemicals that are in the dirt, God made us as human beings. And and the Bible says that we are created in his image. So he arranged these dust particles to resemble who he is so we get an understanding of who God is and that your DNA goes far beyond just dirt, but that your DNA goes into eternity. And I look at this and I go, wow, God, that is really amazing that we were created from the dust. The dust we return. People have asked the question quite often on to every man and answer. They'll ask the question, well, is cremation wrong or is regular burial? How, how do I, how should I, what should I do with me when I'm gone? Well, the point is basically this. The Hebrews didn't, um, didn't cremate people. The reason why, and this isn't a weird thing, they didn't cremate people because we were created in the image of God and out of respect, they did not burn the bodies. Only a couple people in the Old Testament, their bodies were burned. Saul was one of them because he was so decomposed when he was carried off and, um, and all decapitated and everything that, that Saul was one that was, was uh, cremated. But generally, the reason why Judeo-Christian principles do not burn bodies as the Hindus do in cremation is out of respect for the body that God created. Now, 
Does that mean that I have to be buried or is it wrong to be cremated? I believe that when this is a shell, when we move out, we're in heaven with God, it doesn't matter. I do know a friend of mine who ran the um, cemetery here, uh, the cemetery grounds, he said it seemed to him that people who had an actual place where the kids or grandkids could come and bring an, a closure to their grandpa or the grandma or their mom or their dad or their brother or sister or sibling, something like this, they could actually bring closure because there was a birth date, there was a death date, and there they were, and they could bring closure to that. They said the people that oftentimes are cremated and sprinkled over the top of a mountain or poured into the ocean or whatever, it says they're they're siblings have a harder time sometimes dealing with that. But we are created from the dust. And again, fire does in a few minutes what time will do over a period of of years. So I don't really believe it makes any difference whatsoever in your eternity, whether you're buried or whether you're cremated. But it's out of respect for the body is why the early church, and that's why the Old Testament Jewish belief never cremated a body was out of respect because it was created in the image of God. Verse 29, excuse me, uh, verse 20, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, this is interesting to me as well because this is called his wife Eve. Now, he had named all the animals. I don't know what he called her up to that point. I don't know whether it was woman, come here. I I mean, I don't know what he was doing, but he called his wife Eve, mother of all living. This is why I do not believe in uh, evolution. This is another one of the reasons why I don't believe in Lilith, if you know who that is. Some people claim that Adam had more than one wife. Lilith was one of them. That is not found in scripture anywhere. It was made up. Eve is the mother of all living. Now, again, when we look at this particular picture of how God created everything, there is an order. And I like that because in God's order, God has a way of of showing us that even though God could have made everything and just spoke immediately everything into existence, he took six days on the seventh he rested, which tells me God has order and God doesn't do everything at the same time. Now, why is that? I think it's a a lesson for all of us. I, I think a lot of times we like it, we like it now, instant. But God builds things. And sometimes God builds things in you and me, not only concerning things, but again, our character and who we are, the way we see God, the way we view God, all these things are are steps, I believe. And this is what we call growth in the Christian experience, that we grow, we build upon what successes, what God has shown us from yesterday, we bring into today. That's why, again, counting your blessings, so important. We're coming in out of Thanksgiving right now, but Thanksgiving is every day in a Christian's heart because Thanksgiving requires me to look at how good God has been to me in the past, how he's gotten you through all those messes that we've gotten ourselves into, and we do. Sometimes, you ever notice that about messes? Sometimes messes are things we do. I did this. I was really stupid. I shouldn't have done this. That's a mess we created. But sometimes messes happen to us that we did not create. 
But knowing this, that God is bigger than the ones that we've created or the ones that just happened to us, God is bigger than those things. He's got you through in the past. He's going to get you through it in the future. Always remember that. God is bigger than the things that you've done wrong. And if God isn't bigger than the things that we've done wrong, then God isn't very big, is he? So we have to, once again, go back and realize God is greater than any deficiency that I may have in my life. And so he says, called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also Adam and his wife, uh, and I like this, also Adam and his wife, the Lord God, made tunics of skin and clothed them. What's the world's oldest profession? Not what you thought, what people have told you. It's the clothing industry. And here you find God made clothes for him. Now notice it says from skin. In order to get skin from an animal, what is required? You have to kill the animal. And so blood sacrifice to clothe man for his nakedness was the very first blood sacrifice, you might say, that we find here in the Bible. Then God said, behold... The man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest we put, he put out his hand and also partake of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Now, this is important here because notice it says that God prevented man from eating of the tree of life. There were two trees specifically in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of, tree of life. Had man eaten, according to this verse, after he had partaken of the, of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and eaten of the tree of life, he would have remained forever in his fallen state. So God, out of his mercy, kept man away from that. Now, what happened to the Garden of Eden? Well, again, this is the last chapter we find any formal history of the Garden of Eden is this chapter 3. What happened to it? Well, the Bible says, as we find here, that God, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but God prevented man from going back into the garden to eat of that tree. People have asked, well, what happened to the Garden of Eden? Eden? Is it still there today? Is it a, is it a uh, um, you know, an amusement park? No, it's not any of those things. Most likely it was destroyed in the flood. God preserved it, and probably over time, as man became less and less concerned about it, probably overgrown, but completely uh, wiped out in the flood. Now notice he says, God said, behold, man has become like one of us. What a, I I don't want to be God. You know, there's religions that are out there that say you join our church, get sealed in temples and things, you're going to be a God yourself. First of all, I don't want to be God. I am very, very content in letting God be God. To let him guide and let him provide and to let him do what he wants to do in this world and in my life. I'm very happy with that. I don't have to be driven by ego to be the only one, okay? The Bible says in Isaiah 44, he says, I am the Lord God, besides me there is no other. Period. And the words in the Hebrew are emphatic. There is nothing other than God. There's not a lot of gods out there running their own little universes. 
making all their own little mistakes. Nothing like that. The Bible tells us that there's only God in Isaiah 44. Besides me, there is no other. That's important to realize because any religion that says you're going to be a God yourself someday is really the same lie that Satan told Eve. God just doesn't want you to be like him. You eat of the tree, you'll be like God. Same mistake. And so we find the same, the same lie has been perpetrated. And so behold, they become like one of us. They now recognize these things. Do you know, you don't have to know everything. You know, there's some things I would rather not know. Have you ever had somebody go in, like, like you're talking to them, and they, they, they go, well, you know, we had to go to the hospital and the ambulance because, and they start telling you all these gory details about how, well, you know, when he fell on the tree, his guts right out, I'm going, blah, 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 I don't want to know. There's a lot of stuff in this life I don't want to know. I am very happy sometimes not knowing. Now, notice it says, they become like one of us to know good and evil. Do you know there's things that God, because he loves you, prevents you from having to know? I let him worry about that. Well, I've got to know everything. Do you know how every single transistor and every single IC pack in your TV that you bought at Black Friday works? No, I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't have to know. There's people that do know that. And if it breaks, I can take it to them and they can fix it. I don't have to know everything. What God wants me to know is about him. That, God has said, you do need to know. You see, oftentimes, friends, we major on the minor and we minor on the majors. We, 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 we can develop our, our intellectual ideas and things to things that do not profit in the long run. Where God, on the other hand, says, know me. And when we know God then we begin to understand his heart. And when we understand his heart, we know how to respond to things and situations and circumstances around us that provide that opportunity every day in how you're going to respond. You see, the what you believe is how you live your life. If you believe God's got it all under control, nothing happens to you or me by accident, then I don't have to get upset over things. So somebody cuts me off on on, uh, Blue Lakes, signaling right and turning left. That's a good one here. I don't have to get upset over it. I'm not saying I still don't sometimes, but I'm saying I don't have to because I know God's got my life in his hands. When we do not know that God has our life in our hands, we live our lives differently. We become very selfish because I realize that the decisions I make are the ones I'm making and I'm trying to pilot this thing called life down through the road of, of, of eternity. And so you just get out of my way because I'm going to do my best to do this. And God says, no, what I want you to do is trust me. Look at how I provided for you in the past. Trust me and I will see you through. See, big difference. See, what you believe is how you live your life. And if you believe that there is no God, then yes, in fact, you need to worry as much as you can. You need to eat no-dos. You need to do everything you can to not go to sleep because while you're asleep, something bad might happen. But when you love God and you know you're his child, you can say, okay, God, I'm found in you. I don't have to know everything. All I have to know is I'm in you. You see the big difference? 
If you believe that you're evolved sludge, and this is what, again, our school systems are telling our kids, whether they're in elementary school, junior high, high school, or college, you're a cosmic accident. So really, morality is a matter of what we think. There's no right, there's no wrong. It's how you look at it. I mean, lightning hit a swamp and whammo, here you are. But if you believe you were divinely created, as we're reading about here this morning, and that there really is a pattern for everything in life, now all of a sudden something dramatically has changed. And what is that? It's that now because I know God is God, and God has a plan, and we're not just an accident, that means I'm here for a reason. Have you spent 10 minutes this week asking God why you're here? You see, makes a big difference. So that's what God does in our lives. And so... God, because he didn't want us to stay in a fallen condition, he took man and woman out of the Garden of Eden. And so the Bible says, therefore, the Lord God put him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove man out and he placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, a flaming sword to which every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Wow. We can't eat of that tree. In heaven you can, though. That's one of the things that's, that's uh, cited, that there is the tree of life in, in the middle of the two the rivers that part around it, and you're going to get to eat of that. Now, here's the deal. Getting old is a drag. If you're here today and you're in your 20s, you're in your teens, you listen to some old guy up here in front go, getting old's a drag. You don't know what that means. But I can tell you a little bit. When you get up in the morning, the reason you know you're alive is because things hurt. That's how you know you're alive. You go, oh yeah, I'm alive, that still hurts. You get up and make coffee. You look and look at the obituary column. You look to see if you're on it. If you're not on it, okay, it's going to be a good day. No, here's the problem. You see, what happens with the way we think is that our bodies break down. You know, there's nothing worse. You talk to anybody that's older when you've got a 19-year-old brain in a 65-year-old body. Now, you can probably do what you did when you were 19, but I guarantee you will pay for it for the week or the month or the year. Now, here's what the deal is. This tree of life must have had something in it that would cause us not to get old. I think people have looked for it. You hear Ponce de Leon looking for the fountain of youth. You hear all these different stories about, oh, they're going to invent something and you can live. Imagine, though, living forever in a fallen condition. This, to me, friends, is something that would be quite scary. That's why God limited man's lifespan by the time of King David to about 70 years. Now, when you stop to think about that for a minute, why is that important? Because of this reason. If man could stay in his wicked condition and live forever, what would the result be? Well, that what was happening coming up to the flood, that man lived to be nearly a thousand years old. 
And after the flood, man's lifespan began to wane a bit. But imagine if you could eat of the tree of life every day in a right relationship with God. Theoretically, from what science tells us, our bodies should never get old. Your body reproduces. And I've shared this before. The body that you're in right now is not the body you will be in in seven years. You will get a new body. Your, your cells replace the old cells. Your hair grows out. You cut the old stuff off and whatever's there. And, 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 and you do that. And, and here's the deal. They're not doing it fast enough. And this is where the aging process comes in. It replaces itself, but it doesn't replace itself fast enough. In the tree of life, there must have been something that was the right nutrients. God designed our bodies. He knew what we needed. And so he made this tree. You eat of this tree. It gives your cells. It gives your body. It gives your metabolism. All the things that need. You can live forever. Yeah. What do people want? You know, people that are in the world, they have a mental condition. I don't know if you've ever talked to people in the world. They're kind of goofy. I mean, I'm talking about people that aren't born again. Now, if you're not born again here this morning, hear me out before you get mad at me, okay? People in the world and the way they live their lives don't think they're ever going to die. I've talked to them on their deathbeds, in the hospitals, more times than I can count. I've shared this story so many times, but it's so reminiscent of what I'm Sharing with you today, I I was called by one of the ladies in our fellowship. She says, I've been taking care of this guy, and and he's in the hospital. He's not going to make it. Can you go up and pray for him? And I said, okay. So I go up there, and as I'm going up the hallway, I I turn, and there's a doctor outside of his door writing on the chart, and he's writing away. And I said, well, I'm Pastor Mike from the river, and I said, I I, I was asked to come up here uh, by Mary to see this individual. Oh, he goes, oh, I'm glad you're here. He goes, he's probably only got maybe just a couple hours left to live. And I said, okay. So I go in the room, and he's got tubes everywhere. It's looked like the spaghetti factory exploded on him. He had tubes in his arms and his legs and his face. I'm just, and I I get queasy. You You don't have to use, you know, you don't have to put me asleep. I just get me around and all of a sudden everything starts blacking out. Your ears whistle and you got to sit down. Well, anyway, I'm seeing this and I said, hi. And I said, I was asked by Mary to come up here and see you. Oh yeah, Mary, she's a good lady. And I said, well, you know, you're getting ready to go on a journey and I I just want to make sure that you're ready for that journey. And he goes, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to get out of here in a couple of days. I'm thinking about getting married again and having a family. And I'm going, okay, we have a problem here. And I began to share with him about Jesus. Now, sometimes when I've done this, people are responsive and they'll say, tell me more. Other times I've done it and they just block you out. Because you see, I'm not going to die. I'm fine. Get out of here. Leave me alone. And I look at that and I can't. And I go, how is it that we lie to ourselves? And see, one of the things when you come to Christ, there's one of the things you have to realize. Our sin is killing us. 
And when we're killed by our sin, we need life. And when we realize that only life comes from Christ. But this guy was telling me how he was going to get up out of this hospital bed in a couple of days and go out and live his life just like he had been doing. He didn't think he was going to die. And every single person that I've ever talked to that's not born again, don't think they're going to die. And if it is, and if I'm going to die, it's going to be sometime way off into the future where I'm not going to have to worry about it because I'll have done everything I want to do. So it ain't no big deal. But right now I'm not going to die. And yet you share with them about the Lord and they're a heartbeat away. They're a car wreck away. They're, they're, they're some crazy thing happening to them. They're gone off this earth. And so I look at that and I realize People don't realize they need life. Yeah, the tree of life, that tree that will eventually feed all of us in heaven someday. But, you know, I don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to die to go to heaven to partake of that tree of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. What a dying person needs is life. And only Jesus offers life. Only Jesus offers to reverse what we read about here today. The rebellion of man, the blaming others for our sin, the idea that I'm going to live forever and I don't need this. See, man doesn't understand. We think we're immortal in our frail understanding of things only to end up realizing we're going to die someday. I remember one of the things that brought a lot of people to Christ, and that was this, as I always talk about lures and dad's fishing box. Is that, you know, when you start talking to somebody about eternity, and you say, well, tomorrow's not promised to anyone. The question is, what about you? Where are you if your heart stopped beating? You go out on the... See, we we have icy roads here in Idaho. I don't know how many people experienced those over the last couple of days. It's really fun going backwards down the road. But we don't have that in Southern California or Phoenix or Dallas. No, we have just millions of other people that don't know how to drive on the road. You see, we're not promised tomorrow. The question is, what have you done with God today? And that's the question for you and for those listening. You see, God took us out of the garden to keep us eating forever of a tree of life in a fallen condition. It was for our benefit that God took us out of the garden. Because the thing is, God knows that this body, this world is under the curse. But someday he's going to make a brand new world. And you're going to get a brand new body that doesn't have the problems that this one does. You're going to be just the right weight. You're going to be just the right look. You're going to have everything that this body has broken down in. You don't have to be 75 years old to realize, or 100, to realize your body's breaking down. I've talked to people that played football in high school in their mid-30s, and because of injuries that they sustained just in those couple of years in high school, they're paying for it in their 30s. You're going to get a new body. We need a new body. This one's breaking down. So I want to just encourage you today. What have you done with Jesus? Can you truly say that, you know, Lord, 
I, I, I really turned it all over to you. I'm, 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 I'm about you now. You're my life giver. You're my tree of life. You're what I'm getting what I need from to sustain me to go another day. Or are you saying, no, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to slug it out. I'm not going to die. I'm immortal. You're only lying to yourself. See, because whether it's tomorrow or whether it's 60 years from now, that day will come. That's why, once again, I, when I do memorial services, I, I, call them, I call them illustrated sermons. You have somebody usually in a box or an urn up in front, and we're all gathered in this place mourning the passing of, of Mr. Right Guy or Mr. Right Girl, and everybody's there and they're teary-eyed and stuff, but there's no guarantee we all won't be back in the same room in a week over one of them in the room that have died. It's not promised to us. And I think as we look at this and we look at the fall of man and all these things that we kind of looked at a little bit today, Jesus reversed what man did. The first Adam sold us into slavery. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, got us out of it. This morning, if you're not right with God, I want to encourage you to pray. We're going to pray together and you can ask the Lord to come in your life and change your life. The Bible says he will. Because again, When that time does come, I want you to know, hey, I'm going to heaven. That's good. And that's something to tell other people about. Because you know how many people, when they lay their heads down on their pillows at night, and they're scared because they're worried about them dying in their sleep? You see, you have the assurance of salvation. Because it isn't what we earned. It's something that was given to us, and I accepted it. That's all we do. We just take what God's given us. The Bible says we're clothed in his righteousness. We're clothed in his righteousness. Why do we need to be clothed in his righteousness? Because by nature we're naked. See, that's what this is talking about. That's why God had to kill animals and and give them skins to clothe them. All the way through the Bible, you'll find how many times the reference are concerning a, a Christian and their clothing, their outer garment, their righteousness. That comes from God. This morning, if you've never prayed and you've never asked Christ in your life, we're gonna pray. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life and let him do what he wants to do. Let's pray together. If you need to pray, pray. And mean this, God will change your life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I realize that I have rebelled against you. And I'm sorry. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. So wrap your righteousness around me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that. Welcome to God's family. Begins with a prayer, but God shows you your whole life is goodness. Start reading in your Bible. If you don't have one, I'll give you one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John's a good place to read. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian, but you've backslid away from the Lord, I want you to read in the book of Philippians. Start in Philippians chapter 1. And just read and see how bound for joy you really are. Philippians, for the Christian that rededicated the life. John chapter 3, for new believers. Let God do something new in your life. 
If you've not been baptized, we'll have a baptism. I've got a little book called Time to Grow. It answers a lot of questions for you. You can have that. But please, let God do something new in your life. We're coming up on a new year. Don't spend the last year like God wants you to have a brand new year next year. Let him bless you. Let him heal you. Father, for every person in this room, every person listening over the air, every person, Lord, that was joining us by the media, Lord, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would do those very things in their life, that you would heal them and restore them and bless them. Let them know, God, their sins are forgiven. And God, from this day forward, they're a new creature in you. And we're clothed, not with fig leaves or animal skins, but by your righteousness. And so, Father, this morning, we just ask you now that your Holy Spirit would minister to each one of us, cause us to be thankful for the things that you have given us, and remind us always that you always will be faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.